0: I'm so glad that you're joining us on our Grace Journey podcast. At Grace Church, we are all about knowing God and reflecting His way. I hope this sermon will do just that, by feeding your mind with the knowledge of God and engaging your heart to live a life reflecting His grace and truth. It's great to be here today. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Robert, and I'm the Associate Rector at Holy Trinity Episcopal Church in Gainesville. And in a couple of months, I'm going to be married here to your lovely um, assistant priest, Caroline. <laughs> Needless to say, wedding planning and thoughts about marriage have been on my mind lately. I've become accustomed to speaking about these topics in casual conversation. And I've looked at the lectionary each week, kind of hoping for an opportunity to preach on the motif of marriage as it's often used in scripture, usually as a, even as like a, a symbol of the union between Christ and the church. But when I read the Old Testament text a portion for today, my hopes were a little bit diminished. And just to warn you, I'm going to be using some harsh words during the sermon today, so prepare yourselves. Hosea is instructed by God to go and take a wife of whoredom. There are some passages in scripture that when they come up in the lectionary, you just kind of cringe a little bit. How am I possibly going to preach on that one, Lord? On the first reading of this passage from Hosea, after spending a week in wedding planning, mind you, my mind kind of began picturing this gloomy piece of prophetic work full of dire prospects concerning the downfall of God's people, and by extension, the downfall and judgment of the entire world. Not really the message anyone wants to tell the people of God or relate to the people of God. But when we approach this passage, we kind of approach it with a spirit of expectancy that drives so much of the excitement and anticipation that a marriage brings to mind. But we cannot help but brace ourselves for the repercussions that will come from this less-than-traditional marriage arrangement. Our reading of the text needs to be understood in light of its placement within Scripture. Hosea is the first of the minor prophets, and the Church has received these prophetic works on a single scroll. The way the scrolls of the Hebrew Bible were divided is meant to communicate something to the people of God. So when we look at Hosea being the first of the Minor Prophets, we can see how the first three chapters of the book constitute an introduction that is meant to function as a lens to guide our reading of the Minor Prophets as a whole. Kind of like how the introduction to any book guides our reading of the story and sets the foundation for its conclusion, the first three chapters of Hosea set the foundation for the conclusion of the scroll and the Old Testament in Malachi. It is in Malachi that the sins of Israel's people and its priests are made known. Malachi prophesies that Elijah would be sent before the day of the Lord would come, and he would turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. We approach Hosea knowing that at the end of the Minor Prophets, we are to expect that a day is coming when the Lord will act. Though it may take 400 years of silence, 400 years of a famine of the word of the Lord and the words of Amos for Christ to become incarnate in the Virgin Mary and made man." During the days of Hosea's ministry, Israel was a very prosperous nation. It was a peaceful era politically and in terms of military conquest, yet the people of God were known to be morally bankrupt. The diagnosis of their spiritual condition is that they habitually looked toward other gods to solve their problems—problems that only the Lord himself could, could actually solve. Among the other gods they looked towards was the Canaanite god Baal. The worship of Baal involved fertility rites that were thought to actuate the rains and help the people facilitate the cultivation of a bumper crop. So many believed a bountiful harvest could only be procured if they engaged in these cultic fertility rites, where they would beseech Baal in order to request rain, thus ensuring their livelihood and sustenance. Suffice it to say that Israel was guilty of forsaking the Lord. It is in this time that Hosea is commanded by God to take for himself a wife of whoredom and to have children of whoredom, for the land had committed great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. What is happening here in the reading for today is that God is using a non-verbal display in which the message of the prophecy is given through symbolic actions. In theology, it's called a prophetic sign act. So what we come to understand is that Hosea, a prophet of the Lord, has been commanded to take Gomer, a harlot, as his wife. Hosea is standing in as a representative for God Almighty, while his wife is acting as a sign for Israel. Some biblical scholars maintain Gomer was not just any loose woman, but a shrine prostitute, engaged in the cultic worship of Baal. For generations, Israel had come to believe that their livelihood was dependent on a foreign god. Israel and Gomer, in their unrepentant state of adultery and adultery, lack the ability to see that God gives the rain for the land in its season—the early rain and the latter rain—that his people might gather in the grain, the wine, and the oil of the harvest. This is a popular motif in scripture—recognition of the reality that God is the one who sustains his people, God is the one who sustains the world, and provides for the physiological needs of his people. Then the sign act of the marriage between Hosea and Gomer intensifies greatly. Gomer conceives and gives birth to a son, and the Lord commands them to name the son Jezreel. For it is said that the Lord will punish the house of Jehu for the blood and the massacre of Jezreel, and he will put an end to the northern kingdom. Almost like, this is almost kind of like naming a child Columbine after the Columbine massacre in Colorado. But then after this, Gomer conceives a daughter that is to be named lor For it is said that the Lord will no longer have pity on the house of Israel, or forgive them, but the Lord will have pity on the house of Judah, and he will save Judah. So we know the line of Judah, where the Messiah will be born in the lineage of David, is to be saved. Then Gomer conceives a third child, a son, who is to be named Lohami, which means not my people, because God says, you are not my people, and I am not your God. Do you see what's going on here? Looking into the second chapter of Hosea, Israel's faithlessness is punished. And by calling the third child not my people, the text ends up almost resembling the threat of a divorce proceeding. You see, a wife of whoredom is defined by her lewd behavior, whereas Hosea is defined by his role as a prophet and a proclaimer of God's will. Like Hosea, the Lord is reliable and remains faithful, yet the waywardness of the people of God had almost become cliché. So the name and the identity of the first child Gomer gives birth to is meant to communicate to the people of God that the northern kingdom will fall, while the second child is meant to communicate that Judah will be saved. And the third child ushers in the threat of a divorce proceeding. Because what happens when you marry someone living a promiscuous life? Is that when they bear children, how can you be sure of the identity of their father? The children of Hosea and Gomer bring a sense of uncertainty to the future of God's people. The text suggests that God is weighing his options. There are grounds for divorce, but God relents. He would not break his covenant to his people. The Lord remains faithful. and In the last verse of our reading, we learn that the Abrahamic promise will stand true. God will be faithful to the descendants of Abraham, and they will be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. The life and the actions of Hosea show us how someone who has fallen off course. Our lost sensitivity to the reality of the Lord's providential ways is not outside the scope of the Father's love. Even our idol worship and brokenness will not rescind the promises of the Lord. Even though the Lord would be fully justified in leaving us, because we all too often abandon and forsake him, even though there are grounds for divorce, instead, in the first two verses of chapter 3, Hosea is commanded to love his wayward wife despite her infidelity. Then we are made aware that a price must be paid for Gomer, and by extension, Israel's sins. Hosea ends up purchasing Gomer back from slavery for 15 shekels of silver, silver, along with some barley. Then, only after God commands Hosea to love Gomer, the Lord establishes a discipline for Gomer that Hosea undergoes by her side. The significance of this is that the disciplinary actions or the redemptive judgment of God is seen through the lens of God's love for his people. The third chapter of Hosea makes us aware that a price must be paid on behalf of the transgressing party in order to secure his or her transition from a life of sin into a life of righteousness. It is in the third chapter of Hosea that we learn from Hosea that he will have to suffer the consequences of Gomer's sin directly beside her. Through the prophetic sign act of Hosea's relationship with Gomer, it is revealed that God will undergo the pangs of judgment alongside those he chooses to shower his incomprehensible love upon. Hosea's mirroring of God's love provides a means for Israel to regain sensitivity to the reality of the Lord's providential love, despite the fact that it is unrequited. What the relationship between Hosea and Gomer shows us is that that misplaced love is as much at the heart of idolatry as it is adultery. Because who among us, if given the opportunity to zoom out and see the nature of the situation, would not choose the incomprehensible love of God over the cultic worship of Baal? Who among us would choose a life of being used and thrown aside over the unconditional love of God? When caught up in sin, we lose sensitivity to reality, because of how sin distorts the way the world looks to us. When we think that our welfare comes from our jobs, our bank account, the stock market, our grocery stores, when we come to believe that these things meet our needs and we strip God out of the equation, we end up in a state of misplaced affection. In this day and age, we have technological buffers in place in times of feast and famine. We simply redirect our funds to another market somewhere else in the world when we're not able to produce enough food for ourselves. We rely on systems of commerce to stave off the depredations of famine. And in being so disconnected from the land, it can be easy to rely on these technological buffers and forget the reality that God makes the sun shine, the rainfall and the crops grow. What we end up learning from Hosea is that God judges Israel with the intention of bringing her back to the knowledge of the Lord, a type of knowledge that only comes by means of a repentant heart. Hosea makes us aware that it's only after we understand the consequences of our sin, grapple with the pain that we have caused, that we can come to recognize how we have broken relationship with God and one another in such a way that cannot be mended on our own. Only then can we gain sensitivity to the reality of our situation, and come to recognize that our welfare is not provided by the grocery store, our jobs, or the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Our welfare comes by the hand and the word of the Lord. The grain, wine, and oil of the harvest come from God. Looking at the Minor Prophets as a whole, the character of God, as it is revealed in these books, prepares our minds and our hearts to see that a price must be paid for our sins. These books prepare us to see that the promised Messiah will walk through judgment directly by our side. We can expect our shame to turn to praise if we're willing to come to the Lord with a repentant heart. We can trust that the Lord will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Our God loves us even when his love is unrequited. In the gospel reading for this day, Jesus teaches us how to pray and encourage us to be formed in love in exactly the same way Hosea loves Gomer, and God loves us. We are to forgive our enemies and those who sin against us, as God forgives the sins we commit against him. The question is whether or not the people of God—whether or not all of us here today—have the audacity to mimic God's love in our own lives. Can we learn to love those who simply do not and will not love us back? Can we stop using our love simply as a tool to win the affection of others? The reading from Hosea tells us that God put his love on display by loving someone who would not love him back. And now he calls all of us to do the same. We are called to be like Hosea. We are to show the world around us the consistent character of God that does not change. A God who is compassionate and gracious slow to anger, abounding in loving devotion and faithfulness, maintaining loving devotion to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet by no means will he excuse the guilty. As Hosea paid for the sins of Gomer, Christ paid for the sins of the whole world. We love because he first loved us. What we're talking about here is not the oft-repeated rendering of love by our culture. The sort of love in song lyrics and movies that extol people's euphoric feelings and happy endings. It's not represented by the stale, heart-shaped candies children pass out on Valentine's Day. It's not this love I'm speaking of. It's a love exemplified on the cross. A love with a cross-shaped logic. Only someone like Gomer can see the error of her ways. The misplaced affection she had. How wrong she was for her infidelity. How wrong Israel was for its cultic worship and practices. Thinking somehow that Baal worship would bring rain and a bumper crop. Only someone like Gomer can appreciate Hosea's act of undergoing judgment by her side when she is totally and completely and undeniably undeserving. Only someone like Gomer can see how Hosea paid the price for her sins. Just as only a repentant sinner can grasp the meaning and the power of Christ's redeeming love on the cross. Do we, as followers of Christ, have the audacity to communicate the unbelievable, relentless love of God is the question we are called to live out with our lives. That a holy man like Hosea would marry a whore. Brace yourselves for the repercussions no more. This story is about us. Those who live under the promise of Christ's redemption but turn to other gods, or rather the idols of this age. Whether it's money, comfort, or when the pivot point for our emotions is tied to stock tickers, we may come to think somehow the grain, wine, and oil of the harvest, our welfare and sustenance come from the market economy instead of the Lord. Conversely, we are called to become more and more like Hosea and our God. To break away from the influence of sin on the human condition that brings us to love in order to win the affection of others. Instead, we are called to become by the working of God's own Spirit, capable of loving with God's own love. Thus, the story of Hosea and Gomer is our story. It is the story of the gospel. But the gospel is never for us alone. As soon as we repent and come to learn of its meaning for ourselves, we are drawn into living it out in the world around us. We love with God's own love for the sake of God's own glory. Again, for listening. To find out more about what's going on here at Grace Church, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, our website, graceocala.org, or of course, on our campus here in sunny Ocala, Florida. Go in peace.